All right, good to see you this morning. You guys excited to be here? Come on, yeah. Um, if, if you're a parent, the good news of uh, actually losing an hour of sleep is it stays darker later. So spring break, you get to sleep in a little bit, uh, potentially, uh, maybe, or not. All the parents are like, no, man. Uh, but coming up next Saturday, you're going to enjoy that extra hour of sleep coming up. So, hey, I want to point out before we go into the message today, uh, our one church that is tonight, if you're going, what the heck is one church? That is really our, our gathering of our members as well as any, anybody's... Uh, asked to attend, you're welcome to come. If you want to hear more about the vision, who we are, kind of where we're going, and, and we're, you're going to be able to hear from our children's minister, um, and as well as our, our ENC, our campus, Earl and Sarah are going to talk a little about what's going on with campus and get you updated. So if you want to know kind of what's going on or where are we going, what, what are we doing with CLC, um, this is a great thing to come to. We'll also have a baptism tonight we're super pumped up about. It's going to be awesome. And so, uh, yeah, come on, give, that, give a hand for that. Come on. So we're super excited about that. So we'll hopefully see you at 5 p.m. tonight. Uh, we'll have some light snacks and we'll have child care for, I believe, uh, five and under, I believe. Um, so we'd love to have you attend and be with us. Hey, I want to go into um, part two of our series, Words. As we've been talking about this concept that our words matter, that they're very important, the things that come out of our mouth um, either cause blessing we're called cursing, according to what we talked about last week, and the power of your words. Today, I want to talk about a hard subject with words, and that's the subject of gossip. Ooh. Gossip is a, not an easy thing to talk about. And actually, before we go into this subject, I want to look at, as our prayer today, Psalm 139, 23 through 24. And this is David praying and speaking in the book of Psalm, and he says this, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. It's a very scary prayer. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What a great prayer to have and to think about and really as a foundation for your life, not a bad prayer to start in the morning. So many of us say, what is God's will for my life? God, lead me like I'm searching after you and I want to know your will. But there's another prayer that we say, God, you search me and you light my insides to show me my motives and my passions and what's in me so that I can truly hear you, so that I can truly follow you, and I'm not stumbling around in the darkness trying to see where you are because I've allowed you to search me. I've allowed you to come in and encourage me or rebuke me or challenge me. Uh, another prayer I love that, that is really taboo in our culture, probably to pray, but David would say things like this. Let the righteous person strike me. I'll consider it a kindness. Say, let him rebuke me. I'll consider it a blessing. Like people, I'm not afraid for God to hurt me in a good way. Or for people to come in and correct me, I'm not afraid of that because I want to grow. I want to learn. I know I'm not perfect, but I want to be perfectable. I want to go where you're leading me. 
Even the song we're singing, I want to stretch out into, do you realize what we're singing? Like, I want to step out into water where there's no borders and I'm not in control and I've got everything down. And I think this is part of the David prayer here that I want to start today because probably going to step on some toes today, including my own. The thing about gossip and how destructive it is, it, it really takes us to a place where sometimes we don't want to go because we don't want to think about the consequences of our words. In fact, I've got this shirt on today. I'm a big Office fan. It was gone in 2013, but this is Dwight Schrute. Dwight Schrute loves Bears, Beats, and Battlestar Galactica. If you don't know anything about Dwight Schrute, uh, if you don't watch The Office, um, you need to binge watch it. You know, Netflix, nine seasons, that's it. So, uh, but read your Bible, right? So, uh, it's a fun series, but there, there's one episode in that series, and it deals with gossip, and the, the boss, the world's greatest boss, Michael Scott, finds out within his office that someone, there's rumors that someone had had an affair on their wife, and he tells somebody, and then it gets around the office, and then in order to cover his tracks, he starts telling a bunch of lies and other things about people, so people would be so confused and go, ah, it's all not true. Because of the destructive force of that gossip and getting back to the people and causing frustration and stirring within his office. And, and it's funny and we watch it and it's, it's comical because we've all been there. Has anybody had somebody talk bad about you or you about someone else in gossip? Raise your hand. Everybody should raise your hand in here probably. And we've all felt that and we can laugh at it like on the office, but the destructive force of words that are hurtful and harmful have way more negative effects. Like we talked about last week, it's like a forest fire that's lit by a spark. Our words can cause so much destruction, and yet they can cause healing as well. I want to uh, pull up a video, and we're going to look at it a couple minutes, and it's Dave Ramsey. If you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, Dave Ramsey, uh, uh, in a quick plug, we're doing Financial Peace University coming up in April. Brad and Molly are going to help lead that, uh, as well as uh, Balaji and Larisha. We're really excited about financial peace, so you'll find more about that if you want to learn how to get out of debt, how to, how to do a budget, and be actually inspired, um, not just feel bad. You'll, you'll really enjoy Dave Ramsey and what he does. And uh, I want to show a clip of him talking to his staff. They have weekly staff meetings. And I know this firsthand. My uh, stepdad was working in Nashville at Dave Ramsey, and they would have meetings with 300-something employees. About once a week, they'd bring different people in, and he's talking to the people that work for him. And they talk a lot about their culture, the kind of culture they want to create, who they are. Um, they, they do a lot of different things to invest and bring leadership development through Entree Leader and different things that they do. But this specific video is him approaching the concept of gossip. Check this out. Wow. Not a lot of amens. <laughs> Few awkward laughs. And you didn't hear a lot of amens as he's telling that to his employees either. And yet to develop that kind of culture, you have to be firm. You have to have conviction. And you have to know more than anything, I think, the why behind the what. It's one thing to say, don't do something. This, here's a parenting trick for you. Um, when your kids are really small, you can say, because I said so. 
When they grow up, you need to start explaining why. They need to understand what's going on. And for us, we need to understand the why behind the what. Proverbs 6, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, and then we're going to answer some questions to talk about this. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19 says this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Do you know God is passionate and he is full of love, but there's things he hates too, just like you and me. There's things that, that he knows that are so destructive that he despises them. They're deplorable to him. They're detestable to him, it will say. Is he loving and forgiving and slow to anger and quick to love? Absolutely. But because of the effects of them, one of them, we go down just to the one of them in verse 19. He says this, a false witness who pours out lies is detestable and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, what's interesting about God, I think, in some ways, he's like, the, like us. The Bible says we are created in his image. And in uh, Luke 12, Jesus actually says this, hey, talk bad about me, blaspheme me, that's fine, which people do all over the place. And isn't that an amazing thing that Jesus is like, I can take it. And not only did he say, I can take your words, but he took our sin on the cross. What an amazing God. What an amazing man. And he said, I can take it. But he says, don't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. I ain't playing. That's like a husband saying, talk bad about me. You talk bad about my wife. We're having words. It's a different level. Because you don't necessarily know her. You don't have a lot of context. And because there's not a relationship, you might not be able to be helpful towards her. I think this is the same way when, when, when God is dealing with community and his children. That's how I feel. You could talk bad about me. You start talking bad about my kids. We might have problems because you don't understand maybe the context. A lot of times when I'm counseling or talking to somebody, I'll actually ask them, hey, can, do you mind if I say something? And I open to ask them, like, give me permission, access Open says me to allow me to speak into your life because sometimes I know you're not going to hear me unless you open the access to me. And I want to make you better. Let me give you this definition again, and he mentioned it, but I love this definition of gossip that Rick Warren, a pastor in California, gave. Think about this. Gossip is this. When we are talking about a situation with somebody who is neither part of the problem or part of the solution, then we are probably gossiping. Now, I don't know about you, when I heard that, I went, ouch. Like, that's like steel toe boots on my feet. Because I could think of instances where I've definitely done this. Maybe you haven't. Probably not. Even after this message, man, I don't know about that message. I don't know about that pastor. That's called gossip, right? You, you've had cooked Chris for, for lunch before, I'm sure. So have I. Uh, how healthy is that? And do we realize that these things are gossip because they're about people, but not something that we could do? That's why he said, go up the food chain, so to speak. Don't talk to the receptionist necessarily because she's not going to know or be able to help. Does that mean we never talk about our problems? No. But you know the difference. You know the difference, and you felt the difference. I remember when I 
first moved to Abilene, Texas. I was coming on staff at our Every Nation Church there in uh, 2002. Me and my wife had moved from uh, Oklahoma Assembly of God Church, and we came to Abilene, and uh, we were trying to sell our house in Oklahoma, and it took, took way longer than we wanted to. So we still had a mortgage, but my family was in Abilene, and so I had to live with them, and me and my wife, we've been married two years, had to now go from our own place and ministry and life and move to Abilene, Texas, and now live with my parents in a van down by the river. And so for us... It was not the easiest transition because we're independent. We've kind of done our thing. Now, we didn't have kids yet, but the thing is, me moving in with them, we were just trying to save money because we didn't want to have two mortgage payments and all that kind of stuff. Within about five months, we ended up getting a house, and we had two mortgage payments until we sold the house because it's not always easy to do this. For us, though, I remember a time I'm up in the room that we are in, and I have, actually, I have a... Uh, a stepsister, or a, excuse me, an adopted sister um, that my parents uh, adopted, and she's about 20 years younger than me. So at the time, she's about three, four years old. And I remember having a conversation with my wife, and we're talking about, and again, we don't have kids yet. We've been married two years, so we know everything about parenting. And so we began talking about my parents' parenting skills and how they lacked and how, what they really need to be doing with this three-year-old. And we're having this conversation, and we're just going off, and we are fired up because we know everything about parenting, pre-parenting. And so it's interesting how much you think you know before you actually get involved in something. Um, a lot of you think you know how to run a church because you go to church. But just because you go to Walmart doesn't mean you know how to run a Walmart, okay? So it's so funny how quick we judge and how quick we do this. And, and I'm exposing myself and Dwight Schrute. So opening up, and I was, we were just going off and we had the world's problem solved. I was ready to write a book on it. I walk out the bedroom into the hallway, and there's my parents. And they heard everything. And have you ever been exposed for what you really are? And immediately, like before, I felt good. It felt right. I had all the answers. But then when I realized they heard all that, I felt shame and guilt because that's what gossip does. It's, it's not me actually going to them and confronting them to help them. It's me whispering. And if you look in the Hebrew, when it talks about the word gossip, there's, there's a connotation of just whispers between people. And it's destructive. And the Lord hates it. Proverbs 18.8 says this. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. And you know this because you felt it. You know this because, how many of you guys like McDonald's French fries? Raise your hand. Come on. Don't lie. Many of you are like, no way. But there's a reason why they sell $2 billion an hour. And I can do the math. We've all eaten them. And it's like that. Like, I know these are bad for me, but oh, it feels good. That's what this gospel is. And that's what it's, it's like. It, but it goes down. The problem is it corrupts me from the inside out. Not just slandering or talking bad about someone else, 
but it's me from the inside out. And you can't, you can't watch a news channel or a station without propaganda, without things going out that you should, whether you like the person they're talking about or not, you should have a hint of, mm, I don't know. Or why do I like this so much? It has nothing to do with me. We, we were talking about this at staff and I asked the staff a question. And I said, why do you think we, we like gossip so much and it just goes inside and it's like a morsel and we, 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 we enjoy it and said a bunch of different things. Some people said, because it, it, it makes us feel important. You ever, you ever got some juice on somebody and you're just like, oh man, I know something, right? And you, and you tell your friend, man, dude, you don't know what's happening with Earl. I mean, it's crazy. Well, what's happening? Well, I don't want to gossip. <laughs> I don't want to say nothing. But, but, but when they just kind of push you, push you, push finally, oh, it just feels good because you feel like you have power. You know something that somebody else doesn't know. It feels good. It goes down deep. And yet, it's like poison for your own soul, much less the person hearing it. We love, maybe, maybe you're just bored. I think people just, like entertainment, like, I need to hear it, I want to get it. Like, my life is boring, I got to hear about what happened with Paris Hilton or with this person or whatever. Like, if you know how many husbands Jennifer Aniston has had, you might have a problem in your life. Because who cares? Where is that taking you? How is that helping you? Well, here's how, because another reason why we gossip is because when I hear about what other people do, it helps me justify what I do. I hear, oh my gosh, they did this and that and that and that. And I go, well, at least I haven't done that. And I can tell my wife about, can you believe that dad did that? Look how great I am. And it makes me feel better and it justifies my righteousness. Instead of looking inside my own heart and seeing what is inside me and not realizing even doing that and being a part of it makes me a part of the problem. Here's a question we need to ask. I'm going to give you about three or four questions to think about when it comes to gossip. Number one, is my conversation helpful or is it hurtful? Ephesians 4.29 says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Ouch. Paul says to the church of Ephesus, I want what comes out of your mouth to be encouraging, to build them up, to help them. This word, when it talks about being encouraging or building up, um, it, it, a semblance or a good kind of metaphor for today is charging a battery like your cell phone. Your, your reception's going down, your battery's going down, but I want you to build someone up. I want you to charge them. And I want you to think about that in terms of being an encouraging person, not someone looking for the worst in people, looking for an opportunity to hurt people. And I think we need to ask this question, is what I'm about to share or say, is it helpful or is it hurtful? Proverbs 16, 27 through 28 says this, scoundrels create trouble. Their words are a destructive blaze. Sounds like James from last week. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. 
I love that concept of seeds. Every time you talk, you're planting seeds. And are you planting strife and weeds into a garden that are going to choke out the good things? Or are you planting life? And Proverbs 18 says that your mouth is either life or death. What are you planting? What are you, what are you producing in someone's life? Now, you can say something hard to somebody because you want to help them, but often our hard language, especially in terms of gossip to other people, because we won't confront people. It's easy to be a social justice warrior on Facebook or YouTube and talk about this person. Can you believe what this person did? And, and I mean, how many of us, you wouldn't pick up the phone and call 300 of your friends about what's going on or that person, but you sure tweet about it and thousands of people hear it in an instant. It's a destructive force that kills. Is it helpful or hurtful? In the church, gosh, we could do this. Even by accident, I know I found in myself times where somebody, hey, tell me, tell me about Jay Ross. I met Jay, and, and this, is, this is not a real instance, but tell me, tell me about Jay. And I say, you know what, man, Jay's an awesome guy. He's really great, and I'll give some kind of complimentary praise. And then, but, man, you might want to think about this. And this isn't like for a job interview. This is just life. And the way I'm looking at him or thinking about him, here's really what's going on because I don't want you to actually escalate Jay more than me in my life. So I'm going to sandwich it between a praise, a problem, and a praise. So here's Jay. He's awesome. Oh, watch out. He'll get you. But, and then, oh, but Jay's great. And we just put a little bit of seed in there enough that we put like goggle or lens on people for them to look at people in a certain way. I know I have to guard this as a pastor. I will meet with people and have counseling meetings with people. And sometimes they're good and we're praying about what direction you should go and what God's calling you to do and looking for promotions or whatever. And let's pray God's will. That's awesome. Sometimes it's, man, I've sinned, something bad has happened, and I'm counseling them and trying to help them. And even that moment, I have to think, what do I do? Do I bring this to somebody else or, like, bring it home to my spouse? So let's say, for instance, so-and-so I'm meeting with, my wife knows I'm counseling with him, and he has a pornography addiction. Is it advantageous for me to come home and be like, babe, it's just between us, you and me, we can do this within our tent, we're fine. But let me say this, this person's struggling with this. And that's my wife, and we can keep it confidential. But is it helpful for her? Am I now going to put a lens on her? Every time she looks at that dude, she's going, "Mm mm-mm. How helpful is that? We don't need to put lenses on people for other people. We have enough problems ourselves. We don't need to help and spur more doubt and mistrust in, one, in our lives with one another. And this is what gossip does. And it goes down deep. And we eat on it. And it starts to kill us. Now, I could preach all day on prayer meetings. I love our prayer meetings. Friday night prayer, you should come to Unhinged. It's a powerful time, and, and I don't hear this at our prayer meetings, but I've been to prayer meetings where it turns into a gossip fest, camouflaged, and let's pray for them, brother. Have you heard about so-and-so? Can you believe what they're doing? Here's what's happening. We need to pray. And then you spend an hour talking about what's wrong with them and two minutes praying for them, but now it's gone like wildfire, and everybody 
is the judge, jury, and executionist of that person. How dangerous it can be. And church can be one of the worst places for it. And we shouldn't take it. We're going to talk about how we don't take it. Let me, let me say this. And it's up on the screen. Everything that is said should be true. But not everything true must be said. Think about that. Everything you say. So even if it's true what you're saying about that person. That doesn't give you the license to tell everybody. Jesus would say it this way. How you want to be treated, treat people that way. Do you want to be treated with people looking for the best in you and encouraging you and rebuking you like David? Let the righteous strike me if you need it through relationship and help. And that should be our mentality. But listen, not everything that is true needs to be said, needs to be spoken. Let me give you an example. There's a, in the in book of Genesis, give you some context. There was this flood. And Noah had an ark. How many of you guys back to Bible, back to, back to when you were a kid? And the ark saved him and his family. And then as the, the sea or the flood recedes, they find themselves having to rebuild life. And the, one of the first things Noah does, as you would do if you were trapped in a boat for at least 40 days, and nights and watching the whole world go under, he plants a vineyard. And he's like, it's wine time. This is nuts. And this is what it says. He gets drunk and he ends up in his tent naked and drunk and just plastered. And one of his sons, Ham, walks in on him and is like, oh, dang. And he runs to his brothers and he's like, dad is drunk, wasted, and naked in his tent. Y'all got to check this out. And the brothers go, uh, okay, let's go to the tent. And before they walk in to look at the shame of their dad, they actually grab a blanket and they walk in backwards so as not to see and uncover the person they're supposed to honor, they cover him and walk away. Noah wakes up and says, finds out what happened and ends up cursing Ham, his own son, for dishonoring him. Now, at the time, there wasn't like laws against, there wasn't any laws. The law hadn't been written yet. There wasn't laws against being drunk and doing these things. And again, maybe you would do the same thing after what he went through. But the point is, when someone had, had been drunk and ultimately shamed, exposed, what do we do with that? And what did one son do? He said, oh my gosh, I've got to tell somebody about it. I, I'm not going to cover this up. I've got to expose them even further. And it's not helpful at that moment. Am I saying don't ever expose people? No. But expose them in the right manner for the right reasons in the right way. Not everything needs to be public. You can cover people in, a, in, in an honor and in a way. And this is what the Bible is ultimately trying to teach us. Here's another question. Am I making private matters public? Proverbs 11, 12 through 13 says this. It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets. 
But those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. The depiction, again, I think, is, is the idea of even if I see something, I'm going to be confidential with it. If I can't ultimately be helpful. Proverbs 25, 9 through 10 says this. When arguing with your neighbor, don't betray another person's secret. Others may accuse you of gossip and you will never regain your good reputation. That's scary to me. Because here's the deal. If someone will gossip to you, they will probably gossip about you. And you will be known as a gossip. And that is a trench that is hard to get out of. You know people, you can probably think of somebody right now, I wouldn't trust them with anything. Because I know if I say something, they're going to say something. It's a scary, scary thing. Here is the, the final thing. And I think this starts to really step on our toes because it's real easy up to this point. Hopefully you're going in, but you're also thinking. But here's the question I think next. Am I permitting others to gossip? I would say this, what you permit, you ultimately promote. And it's okay to be strong in your language or your convictions and to set boundaries around your life to say, not only am I not going, I'm going to guard my tongue and I'm not going to do this. I'm going to look for ways to encourage and put on the filter of believing the best and looking for the best, not just the worst, because that's easy. Because we're all sinned. We've all fallen forth. We've all fallen short and sinned. That's easy, but I'm going to look to be a person that doesn't do this, but blesses and encourages, and that's great. But are you permitting gossip? Proverbs 17, 4 says this, wrongdoers eagerly listen. Listen, eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. What you permit, you promote. We ever, it tickles us and we like it. And we're like, oh, I'm, I'm listening. So what do we do? Let me give you about four different ways I think you can actually handle this that's biblical and that's helpful because we want to be helpful. Number one, you can be subtle with the person if you hear gossip. If you hear so-and-so say such and such. And how many, how many of you heard the one person say, we all think this, or I talk to a lot of people and they think such and such. And usually you get down to it, it's really just them and their spouse right, or them and their cat, them and, and them, and it's always everybody's saying, well, is it? Is that true? And I think we need to ask some questions. I think if you want to be subtle, you could say, I'm not feeling really comfortable with this conversation. Now, that might make them feel bad, but would you rather make them feel bad and back off for a second and save a forest fire, not to mention yourself, or would you rather just be honest and allow the truth to come out? The next thing, I think if you just want to be caring, you could say, hey, if so-and-so heard, uh, knew what you were talking about them, they'd probably be hurt. And that's just a caring thing. Hey, I'm not really interested, but, you know, think about what you're saying. A biblical answer, I think. If you have a problem with this person, maybe you should go directly to them. What a concept. Go to the person that you can actually help instead of talk to the people that are just going to continue fires. That's, this is biblical because in Matthew 18, Jesus actually says, hey guys, as a church, as a people, 
because we're flawed, because we just go through things, you're going to get offended. He says this, if someone offends you, go directly to them. Just go to them. Tell them. Talk to them. Don't start the conversation with somebody else that can't help, that can't go forward and bring something good out of it. Go to the person. And if you don't feel comfortable enough doing that, then maybe you should just swallow it and move on. Allow it to digest in your own heart, judge yourself and move on. But if it's something you can't let go of, man, you need to, and if they offended you or hurt you, I don't think anybody in this room, including myself, wakes up in the morning and says, man, I can't wait to hurt someone's feelings. You might know people that do that. But I don't, I don't want to do that. I hurt when you hurt. So come and tell me. And if, and if that happens, he says this, and if that person won't repent, which means change the way you think and act ultimately, and say, hey, I'm sorry. Maybe they'll say, well, I did this because of this, but man, if it hurts you, I'm so sorry. If you don't, if you don't, you don't repent, he says then, here's what you do. You don't now go on social media and blast them or go yelp, oh my gosh, right? You go and grab someone else and you go talk to them with two people now. And now you have somebody else to mediate and to help. And he says, then if they still won't repent, then in the context of community in the church, then bring that in front of the church. Because, and and Jesus says, and if you have to remove them, you have to remove them. That, That doesn't sound very graceful and loving. But Jesus is saying, I remember God detests things that can't be reconciled and ultimately gossip. And I think offense. And Jesus says this, because if you come together and y'all reconcile, and this is where he says the famous words, where two or more are gathered, I'm in their midst. We, we take that out of context in church all the time. Just say, hey, we're gathered, God's here. Well, of course he's here. You, he, he was in the shower with you too while you were praising him this morning by yourself. His presence is there, but that's not the context. The context of that verse is when two people come together and, and deal with but then forgive one another. God's saying, you are acting so much like me that I will give you whatever you want, like a good, proud father that goes, look at my kids being gracious and loving towards one another and forgiving one another the way I forgive. I'm so proud of them. I'm there in a whole different way. That's the power of reconciliation and confrontation. But if we just go off and not allow that to happen, it's actually the opposite effect. He looks at his kids and he goes, those are not my kids. They're stirring up conflict and breaking down community and looking at each other and judging one another without confronting sin and one another, but looking ultimately for redemption, for reconciliation. That's the God we serve. And imagine a world, imagine a church where people did that. Life-changing. You talk about the, the, the kind of social justice and responsibility our, our church does with CLC Acts and Harvey Relief and stuff. That stuff changes the world. But you know what really changes the world? is changing hearts through love and grace and forgiveness and confronting truth but in love and grace and forgiveness. Because I look at myself and go, God, you gave that to me. How can I not give that to someone else? And if I don't, I might not have it. Or I might be struggling with it. And that's a whole nother message. But I've got to 
look in my heart and go, am I being helpful or hurtful? Am I willing to take people to Jesus, to the scripture and say, let's talk? Because reconciliation is so important to my heart, way more than gossip and slander. Maybe you just need to be direct. Maybe you're the kind of like direct person. And you see, say, hey, if you keep talking about other people, we ain't hanging out. Now, that doesn't mean if, if, if you stop uh, befriending or hanging out with anybody that sins, you'll never have any friends, okay? That's, that's crazy. But the people you're most around are the people you will most become like because more is caught than taught. The Bible would say, bad company corrupts good morals. So you need to befriend all sorts of people, all sorts of ways and be around them because we are called as Christians to be salt and light in a world. That doesn't mean we hold up and don't, don't go out. But the people you are closest to will affect you ultimately. And those seeds get at your heart. And if that's the case, sometimes you need to be direct. I think for us, the, my final words here, thinking about how words matter, Jesus would put it this way in Matthew 12, 36 through 37. He says this. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty or idle word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. I think Jesus is saying you can either, with your words and actions and language, bring and speak and act the gospel, or gossip, slander hate, evil. And as James says last week, you can't have both at the same time. It's impossible. And, and the fact that God would bring us good news and if what pours out of us is always bad news about other people, there's something wrong. And he says, you will be judged for those words the same way you'll be judged by crying out and saying, Jesus, you are God, you are Lord, you are the Savior of my life. I believe, Romans 10, 8 and 9, that you died on a cross. Father, raise you again three days. I believe this for my justification in sin. You became sin for me. And I'm confessing that gospel with my mouth to be acquitted, to be saved, because my whole life is now on Jesus. And yet, he says, be careful then how you condemn others and the words that are coming out of your mouth that are idle, and that are condemning, because you will be judged by those. And I think they should match. Your words should be good news, not bad news more often. I want to ask you to stand and pray as we close today, and we're going to end in worship as we have about seven, eight minutes left. Worship team's gonna come up. We're gonna have the one-to-one -one team up here for prayer because what I wanna encourage you today in response of the message talking about what God detests, I think we need to also always be reminded what God loves and he loves a broken and humble heart. He loves, as David would say, a broken, contrite spirit that comes Ultimately, in the name of God and reconciliation, he, he's okay with conviction, but he doesn't want to leave you with it. 
wants you to have it in order to come and have words of life spoken over you and change of heart over you. We want to pray today. And if, if you have anything, we're going to be worshiping. We're going to have the opportunity. We have communion here, communion there. If you want to be reminded of the blood and the body that was broken for us to have this good news. I want to encourage you as you take that bread. I, was, I took it for service. And as I was breaking the bread and thinking about the broken body of Jesus and putting the, the, the drink to my lips, thinking about the blood that was poured out for me, I thought about my lips and my tongue as I'm tasting figuratively the body of Christ and thought about God just sanctify my tongue make it right for you let me look to bless other people and if I have an issue let me go to them as you confront us and go to us have a time right now of worship of repentance I believe and also of rejoicing in the fact that we can approach a God that wants us to experience his good news and who speaks over us love and grace and mercy. Father, we thank you for this morning and your word. We honor your word. We thank you. Your word says that love covers a multitude of sins. And you've done that. You've covered us. Help us to cover other people. Speak the truth in love. In Jesus' name, amen.